Welcome to the Revive Network podcast. On this episode, we bring you a message from the archives of our Refresh Leaders Forum. Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Everyone doing good? Can we pray again? Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah. You might not need it, but I need it. God, we're hungry for you, God. God, we want to see you move in this place today. We want to see you move in our lives, in our churches, in our ministries, in our towns and villages, cities, regions, in our nation, oh God, in the nations of the world. God, we thank you. We are living in the most exciting time in history because your kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. And so, God, we want to pray once again today. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. You can tell it's just after Christmas, can't you? I nearly prayed, let your will be done um, in heaven as it is on earth. I was like, no, you don't pray that. That mess heaven up, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> praise God. God's good, isn't he? Um, anyone here hungry for a move of God? Um, the, the famous Wigglesworth prophecy, the spirit and word prophecy, part of that, let me just read it to you. I see the greatest revival in the history of mankind coming to planet earth, maybe as never before. I see every form of disease healed. I see whole hospitals emptied with no one there. Even the doctors are running down the street shouting. They will bring the sick to churches where they will allow the Holy Ghost to move. There will be untold numbers of uncountable multitudes that will be saved. No man will say no many, so many, so many, because nobody will be able to count those who come to Jesus. No disease will be able to stand against God's people. It will be a worldwide situation, not local. A worldwide thrust of God's power and God's anointing upon mankind. Um, The great revivalist John G. Lake had a vision. And in in the vision, he says, he saw a company of men, and I presume women as well, walk out. And I saw all the diseases and all the crimes and agonies. I saw cancers and tumors and tuberculosis. And I saw a company of men and women walk down into the midst of it. And I heard a voice saying, here comes the sons of God. Here come the conquerors. And the sons of God said to disease, in the name of Jesus, depart. And disease fled. It fled as it did before the Son of God. It obeyed because the Son of God sent them out and gave them his name and his authority. If you've got a Bible, you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to challenge us this morning. Is that okay? Um, And the reason I want to challenge us is because God has been challenging me. Um, So if it sounds like I'm telling you off this morning, um, I'm not, or maybe I am, but it's first because God's told me off. Is that okay? 
Um, so God has been just challenging me uh, through this scripture, and I don't want to do anything complicated or fancy this morning. It's just a, just a simple message that God has really been burning in my heart. So this is what God's been speaking to me about over the past few weeks. Uh, Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And then these are the words. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Um, who knows, Paul was a phenomenal preacher. Um, Paul was a phenomenal teacher. But he said, I didn't just come preaching. I didn't just come teaching, but my preaching and my teaching were accompanied with something. There was a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Now, if you, if you know me, if you've heard me speak before, you know that I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I love to teach the Word. I love to preach the Word. And I believe that lives can be changed purely through the preaching of God's Word. However, saying all of that, God has been challenging me to get back to that place of not just preaching, not just teaching, but seeing a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our ministries. If we just break down that, that, that verse just for a moment, uh, that, that word demonstration, it means proof. And it can also mean this, a showing off. So I, Paul said, I didn't just come preaching and teaching, but I gave you proof that what I was preaching and teaching works. I didn't just preach and teach, but I showed off the power of God. There was a demonstration of the Spirit's power through his ministry. And you know that word uh, power, the Greek word dynamis. Uh, it's where we get the word dynamite from. This explosive power. If you break that word down, it means an abundance of miracles. It means the ability to heal. It's often linked with glory and authority. So if you, if you, if you break down what Paul's saying is this. I didn't just come preaching and teaching. But I gave you proof that God is a healer, that God is a miracle working God. I demonstrated and showed off to you the power and the authority of heaven. Can we say that about our ministries? And I know that, that there are people in all kinds of different areas of, of ministry and leadership here today. Um. And I pray that everyone gets something because we all should be pressing in for more of God. Amen. But I just feel specifically to challenge this morning the preachers and the teachers among us. 
that as much as we love the scriptures and as much as we love preaching and teaching the word of God, I believe that God is looking for leaders who, as well as that, know what it is to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, Paul contrasts this. He says, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. I didn't come with natural eloquence. So he contrasts someone who's coming with eloquence and they're a great communicator, a great speaker. There's someone that can, uh, people are amazed by their communication skills. And Paul said, I didn't come with any of that. Now, I, I, I don't know if Paul's downplaying himself a little bit. But he's saying, I came with the power, a demonstration of the power of God. And then he gives this reason. So that your faith will not rest on man's wisdom, but on the spirit, but on the power of God. It concerns me a little bit in our churches when we see people making decisions and we're seeing people come to Christ. I wonder a lot of our converts, if I can use that word, what is their faith resting in today? Because I, I guess your church is. Probably like our church, we preach a sermon on a Sunday. And people come in who don't know Jesus. And they might agree intellectually with what we've said. And their emotions may have been stirred. Or we may have put our finger on a situation that's relevant to them. Or we may have offered them something which is good, which is what the good news is. And then we'll say to them, close your eyes, bow your heads, repeat a prayer after me, or fill in a form, or maybe not even that, maybe just come along next week. But I wonder, where's that moment when they encountered the supernatural power of God? When's that moment when they got born again? You, we, people used to talk about that, didn't they? Now it's kind of, we made a decision. But it used to be born again by the Spirit. That moment when they, they know, I was washed in the blood of Jesus. I was cleansed. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was blind, but now I can see. That moment when their chains were broken. That moment when they knew that, that God was real and that God was alive. That moment when they encountered the resurrected Jesus. That moment when the fire of God touched their life. And like Wesley, they could say, my heart was strangely warmed. I don't know about you, but that's my experience. And that's your experience, right? Which is why you're here. I doubt many of us just ticked a box on a form. We got radically saved, right? That's why we're leaders. That's why we've, we've followed this thing through. And why, why aren't we seeing that with a lot of our converts? 
Because there was no demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. They just agreed with words. Repeat this prayer after me. And we don't even tell them what they're going to repeat. So they're saying stuff they've not. I, I want you to remember the Samaritan village. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Come on. I don't want some, we've got a new beginner's class starting our church a couple of weeks time. I don't, yeah, I am doing it. Yeah, you know. um, But David's doing the Holy Spirit night. So there you go. But I don't want people, I got saved because I liked Revived Church. I liked the music. I agreed with something that you said on a Sunday. I want people who are coming in saying, I got saved. I met with Jesus and he changed and transformed my life. I suppose many of us here, even if you might not like or use the label, many of us here, we we would say we are Pentecostal Christians. We go to Pentecostal churches. We, we are Pentecostal ministries. But I, I wonder today what that actually means. Anyone else? Because you used to know what a Pentecostal church was. But now I, I go to a, a lot of churches. I call them pretendicostals. Because you say to them, well, well, they say, oh, we're, we're a, we're a Pentecostal. <laughs> you say to oh, they say, oh, we're a Pentecostal church, or we're, we're part of a Pentecostal denomination. And, and then you look and you wonder, well, what does that mean? And normally what it means is this. They agree with a certain set of doctrines. They agree in baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. They believe that God heals, that God does miracles. But actually, if you look at the demonstration, there isn't any. And remember, I'm pointing the finger at me as much as anyone else. I I was at a a conference um, a couple of years ago. Um, In fact, Peter Cavana was there. It was in Hollybush. Their summer is not... And they had a, a... they had, a, they had a gospel singer kind of doing a special from America. And he was really old. Um, like really old. He was like, he, he was ancient. I, I'm, not, I'm not looking at you, Marion. He was old, older than you. He, 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 was, he was really old. And he looked really old. But the way everyone was talking... It was like he was famous, but I didn't know who he was. So they were all like, oh, we're so honored that so-and-so is here. So I was like, oh, this guy's obviously a big deal, but I don't know who he is. So I quickly Googled him uh, during the meeting. And sure enough, I Googled his name and gospel singer, and he got a website. And I went on the website, and this picture came up (laughs) of this handsome couple. Uh, with no wrinkles, he'd got, um, you know, he kind of got this, he, he, and I'm kind of looking at the picture, and I'm looking at the man on the stage, 
And I'm looking at the man on the stage and looking at the picture. And obviously he'd given them a picture that was like 50 years (laughs) in the past. But it's so easy to present ourselves as one thing. But actually the reality is totally different. And Jesus spoke to a church in Revelation, the church in Sardis. He said this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but actually, you're dead. What a challenge to those of us that say we're Pentecostal churches. What a challenge for those of us that say we're we're after revival and the things of God. Do we have a reputation? But sometimes a reputation can be different to the reality. Or sometimes the reputation could have been true five years ago or ten years ago. That's no longer the case. I want to see more healings this year. I was, I'm speaking at church in a few weeks. I spoke to the pastor and he said, oh, the Friday night, he said, I've, got, I've advertised it as a healing service because that's what you do. And I said, amen, yes, 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 I do. <laughs> and then after I, after I hung up, I thought, blimey. He might have heard a few testimonies, a few miracles, the highlights. But I don't just want a reputation. There has to be that demonstration of the power of God. There are so many churches that call themselves Pentecostal. But it's been years since they saw someone healed. They can't tell you when they last saw a miracle or some supernatural phenomenon. There are decisions but no real radical salvations. You sit or stand in one of their worship times and it never deviates from the set list. You never hear anyone praying or singing in tongues. Prayer meetings, if they exist, are kind of shoved to the back. No altar call. No laying on of hands. No prophecy. But we're a Pentecostal church. We agree with it all. We just don't do any of it. Do you know in the book of Acts, they cast out demons? In the book of Acts, they raised the dead. In the book of Acts, angels turned up. Signs, wonders, miracles. The fear of God was in the church. I mean, Christmas. We just had Christmas. Christmas is always the least spiritual time in any church's calendar. We kind of come, we dress the kids up with tea towels on the heads and sing a few carols. And, but read the real Christmas story. There were signs in the sky. There's people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, left, center. There's babies filled with the Holy Spirit. There's people prophesying. There's angels turning up. There's a Holy Spirit coming upon people. It, the, the, it's all about signs, wonders, miracles. 
What does it look like to be a, a real Pentecostal church? And I, I'm, I'm aware that we may need to redefine that for this generation. And Jared does that so well in his Spirit and Word book. And of course we need to be modern. We need to be relevant, if I can use that word. We don't want to be too weird or uh, too crazy. Of course, we want to be organized and we want structure and we want teaching and discipleship and preaching. But friends, if we say that we're Pentecostals, there needs to be a demonstration of the power of God. Do we still believe in tongues of fire? In a mighty rushing wind. Do we still believe in laying hands on the sick? In Jesus walking among the lampstands? In the glory of God turning up in the sanctuary? There's a, there's a phrase, it's used a couple of times in the Gospels of Jesus. He says he went around teaching, preaching, and healing everyone that came to him. Many of us here, he went around teaching. We could tick that box. He went around preaching. We could tick that box. But what about the demonstration? Who knows that Jesus is our example in ministry? I, I, I'm aware I've not been preaching as long as some people here. But I've been preaching regularly since, uh, well, 19 years, since 2001. And you know, when you have been doing something long enough and consistently enough, you know how to do it. Anyone else? I remember when I, I first started preaching, I would spend weeks agonizing over what I was going to preach on. I would type up every single word. I would preach it word for word. I would preach it to myself in the mirror every night. I would, I would not sleep the night before because of butterflies. I would be up in the early hours of the morning praying and sweating and agonizing. But now, <laughs> I just make it up as I go along. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying. You know that when you know how to do it, you know how to preach, you know how to prepare a sermon, you know how to use words to move people, you know your stories that are going to make people cry, you know your stories that are going to make people laugh. But when it comes to the power of God, I can't do that. I can't just pull on technique. I need him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in that place in ministry where if God doesn't turn up, we're in trouble. When was the last time we stood ministering and 
you know, there have been times, can I be real honest with you? I know we're, I know we're leaders here today, but can, can we be honest? There are times when I've stood and I thought, God, it'd be nice if you moved today. But I preached this message before, and I know that it works. But I want to be in that place where it's God. When you're stood in front of someone in a wheelchair, when you say, young man at the back, I have a word for you, but you have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth next. It's in those moments when you're like, unless God turns up, we're finished. Paul put it like this. He said, when I came, I came with in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul was in a place where he needed God. He needed God to turn up. I think so. I like Paul's honesty. He wasn't coming in as the man of power for the hour. He wasn't coming in with all the answers. Even the apostle Paul was trembling behind the pulpit, knowing he needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think, you know, sometimes I think it's good to have some honest conversations with our churches, with our congregations. I think sometimes it's good to say, you know what? I'm not Benny Hinn. I'm not whoever. I'm on a journey like you are. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I can't answer all the questions as to why this person wasn't healed or that, that didn't happen. But together as a church, we are going on a, on a journey together, believing that God heals, that God does miracles, that God works. We need God. to turn. I remember once preaching for the national leader of a particular Pentecostal denomination. Uh, not in this country, it was, it was somewhere in Europe. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know why he'd asked me to speak, because he didn't really know anything about me. I think it was just politeness. He kind of wanted the, the, the Western preacher to come in. And he turned up, the night before I was preaching at his church, he turned up to hear me preach at another church. And um, he must not have liked it very much because when, when I turned up to preach at his church, he was waiting for me in the car park. And um, he, said, he said, oh, I believe, I said, how are you doing, Pastor? What are you hoping for tonight? He said, I'm believing for a move of God tonight. I said, praise God. He said, but I don't want people falling on the floor like they did last night. Remember, this is a leader of a Pentecostal denomination, a Pretendicostal denomination. So I said, well, that's not really down to me. I said, I, I just pray for people, and sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. He said, I know that. But if you could make sure it doesn't happen, that would be great. <laughs> so um, as I was stood up preaching, kind of my mind was whir whir whirling, and I was kind of, God... I want to see you move in this place, but I don't want to do anything that would make him think that I've manipulated something. 
Um, so this was kind of what God put on my heart to do. I, I did the most general altar call you could think of. I just asked people to stand if they were breathing, basically. Um, <clears throat> and so the whole church stood up. And I just said, can you just close your eyes uh, where you are and just think about Jesus? And then just <laughs> as I was stood behind the pulpit, I just prayed this prayer. I just said, Holy Spirit, would you honor your name in this church? And as I prayed that prayer, the fire of God fell. And people began to cry and weep and laugh. People were falling out under the power of God. People were trembling under the anointing of God. All the while, I, I was just st stood there, just while God was just moving. And after a few minutes, this pastor came up to me and he said, he kind of, he kind of whispered in my ear, he said, what's happening? <laughs> I said, well, that move of God that you wanted, this is it. And I'll never forget it. He turned to me and he said, what do we do now? And I said, Pastor, I have no idea. If I was you, I'd just let God keep moving. What do we do now, that question has always struck with me, that as leaders, we always need to know what's happening or pretend like we know what's happening. But uh, one of my spiritual fathers says, the glory makes amateurs out of us all. When God turns up, you don't have a clue what's happening. And that's where I want to be, that place where God is moving by his Holy Spirit. It's not about our name or reputation. Dignity and deity never mix. Am I willing to look like a fool in the hope that God would do something extraordinary? I want to just break a lie that the demonstration of the power of God is only for evangelists or itinerant preachers. I believe there are people here today and you would say, actually, my gift mix is more pastoral. Or actually, I'm more of a Bible teacher. But I want to believe and prophesy that there is an anointing coming upon Bible teachers that as you are teaching and you are bringing structure and you are bringing order and you are bringing doctrine, that that will also be followed up with a demonstration of what you are teaching. There are local church pastors here and you've been trapped in that a prophet is without honor in his hometown thing. Listen, even in that meeting, it says that Jesus laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. So even if they don't honor you as a, as a, as a prophet, you can still see healings. Right? But I, I believe that verse, that was for that synagogue. In that, they didn't honor Jesus. Why should that be, not be the case? Why should that be the case in your church? Why can't in your church? Why, why do we, you have to rely on the itinerant speaker coming in, on the big name coming in. Why can't you as a, as a local church pastor demonstrate to your people the power of God and train and equip them as well so it's not a, a one-man show? That's what God's looking for. 
I believe that there are administrators here. And in your administration, you're going to move in words of wisdom and words of knowledge. That there are youth pastors, children's pastors here. God is going to raise you up as revivalists. Hallelujah. Okay, let me, uh, let me draw this to a close. Just three kind of quick points. It's kind of what God's put on my heart. I'll try and do this in five minutes. Firstly, we need to seek God. Amen? I mean, really seek God. You remember the, the scripture, and you've heard it read, you preached it, you've heard it preached on, about the apostles. They gave themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that really has been burning in my heart the last, last couple of weeks. I'm pretty sure that most of us here pray. I'm pretty sure that most of us here read our Bibles. But it says they gave themselves to prayer. They gave themselves to the Word. What would it look like if we didn't just have a devotional time? We didn't just have a study time to get a word for Sunday morning. But we gave ourselves to prayer. Maybe, maybe a good homework for all of us today would be this. Ask yourself this question. What would my diary look like if I gave myself to prayer? If I gave myself to the ministry of the word. That word Give, as in they gave themselves to prayer. It's a Greek word. I'm not even going to pronounce it. It begins with a P. It means to endure, to remain, to be steadfast, to be faithful in prayer. Second thing is this. So number one, we need to seek God. Number two, we need to get back to preaching the gospel. If you get, you, you, we've heard it said before, you get what you preach for. So if we're not seeing the power of God at work in our ministries, what are we preaching? Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Friends, we need to get back to preaching the Bible. Preaching Jesus. Preaching the cross and the blood and the resurrection. Preaching faith. Preaching the miraculous and keep preaching it until stuff happens. I, I was, um, I've known this for a while, but God reminded me of this. The week before Christmas, I was teaching in our college, um, in, in our Rotherham College, and it was a theology class. And I was teaching on the blood of Jesus. So it was all like atonement and all those words. <laughs> and I'll be, I wasn't expecting anything to happen. Because it was just, well, it's just a, a doctrine, a theology class. But as I was just preaching, and well, not even preaching, just teaching on the blood. There's a woman just broke down weeping. And um, I just I said, are you Okay. And uh, she just said, uh, in front of everyone, she said, 
I was abused when I was younger. And he said, as you've just been speaking about the blood of Jesus, I need the blood to wash me. So I said, okay, well, let's pray then. So we gathered around and prayed for her. As we finished praying for her, there was another guy. He brought down in tears. I said, are you okay? He said, no, I've got this stuff going on in my life. I need the blood of Jesus to break this. One preacher said, where the blood is preached, there the Holy Spirit works. And I've determined in, in my ministry in 2020, I, it may not be cool or popular, but I'm going to preach more about the blood of Jesus. Because I believe that as we preach the blood, that message breaks chains. It breaks strongholds. Demons hate it when you preach about the blood of Jesus. Fear dies. Sin dies. Sickness flees. The preaching of the blood. And the final thing. Second Corinthians 12. Verse 12. Paul says, the things that mark an apostle. Signs, wonders and miracles. Were done among you. And here's, here's a phrase. With great Perseverance. I wonder if Paul ever got jealous of Peter. Because Peter's shadow healed the sick. I mean, that's not fair, is it? Peter healed people by accident. But that was not Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony was, I had to work hard for this breakthrough. I had to persevere and press in until God moved. And it may be there are some people here who you just walk into a room and people are slain in the spirit. But for those of us who maybe it's not that easy, sometimes we dismiss it and say, oh, well, that's not my calling. That's not my ministry. That's not my anointing or gifting. But I wonder if sometimes we need to persevere we need to lay hands on people and pray for the sick until we get that breakthrough and we, me and Jonathan were talking about this beforehand you know uh, we've been doing a lot of preaching I was doing a lot of preaching last year on rest and just uh, the ease of the Holy Spirit and just abiding in him and letting him do all the work and that is a, that is truth but sometimes the violent take it by force. Sometimes you have to push in for a breakthrough. Sometimes you have to keep, uh, keep hammering the ground as it were until something happens. Uh, Paul Molly, who's not here today, pastor church in Gainsborough, great church. He took over that church a couple of years ago, um, and it was kind of quite a, a dry kind of uh, church, not not a lot happening. And he told me, he said, when he took over that church, he said, "I'm just going after a move of the Holy Spirit." Quite an elderly congregation, so he said, "I did an altar call," and he said they'd never done an altar call in years, and he said one person came out. So he said, the next week I did another altar call and two people came out. And I went, this was about maybe seven, eight months into this. 
And we had the entire church come out to the front. You go to that church now, there is such an ease in the flow of the Spirit. But he had to persevere for that. Amen. Um, could you guys just come up for us? This is the final, finally. <laughs> Paul said, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I heard um, David Wilkerson preach a message on that verse a number of years ago. And he asked a question. What was the demonstration of power in Paul's ministry? And he came at it from a slightly different angle than I would. I'd say the demonstration was healings, miracles, a move of the Spirit. Paul said this to a young ministry, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what David Wilkerson said was this, that the demonstration of power was not just what Paul did. It was Paul himself. Paul's life was a demonstration of the power of God. I remember when I was about 12 years old, 13. It's one of those teenagers in church. This was kind of before iPads and tablets. So I don't know, I probably had a pen and a pencil or something. But would sit on the back row, not really paying that much attention to what was going on. And I remember the pastor standing up one Sunday saying, there's a revival happening in Brownsville. And I had no idea what a revival was. I had no idea where Brownser was. I still don't. Um, <laughs> I knew that bit. He said, I bought a plane ticket and I'm going because I'm hungry for God. You know when you're 12 and you're 13 years old and you hear your pastor saying, I'm so hungry for God that I'm going across the world because God's moving. That does something in your heart. I remember a few months after this, the pastor standing up and I don't think he was doing this arrogantly or anything, but he just kind of was letting people know what, what was happening. He said, he said, I'm about to start a 40 day fast, just water and fruit juices for 40 days. And I was, again, just 12, 13 years old. But that did something in me. His example. I remember when I was a, a, an intern walk, working at the church down the road here. And it was kind of an open plan office. And the pastor had his own kind of office just kind of off from the main office. And he had a little cuddly toy. And he said... If I put the cuddly, do cuddly toy outside the door, that means I'm praying. Don't come in. And I remember we'd you know, be doing our stuff and then 
the door would close, the toy would come out. An hour would go by. Two hours would go by. Three hours would go by. And as a 19, 20-year-old, that did something in me. What legacy are we leaving behind? What demonstration are our lives leaving behind? Ministry is not always easy, is it? Paul would say, I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from Gentiles, from Jews, from bandits, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. I faced daily the pressure of all the churches. And yet he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. That is a demonstration of power. When you go through difficulty, you go through a heartache, you go through struggle, and yet you remain faithful, you remain consistent, you keep going, and you look back at the end of your life and ministry saying, by the grace of God, I made it. That is a demonstration of power. Thanks for listening. If you would like to know more about the Revive Network, please visit www dot revivechurch dot co dot uk